10. As you do, let me talk about cats. I will do so without swearing. <laughs> How many of you have heard the report that cats are lactose intolerant? It was, it was, it's, this report came out a few years ago that said most cats are lactose intolerant, and, and apparently it's true. I, I, you know, I found it on the internet, so it must be true. Uh, and, and the actual report doesn't say cats are lactose intolerant. It says most cats are lactose intolerant. And when I first heard that, re, re, that report, I just started laughing about what stupid thing are they going to say next? Uh, because it's just like, you've got to be kidding me. Who ever heard of a cat that doesn't like milk? But that's not the point. It's not that cats don't like milk. It's that milk doesn't like them. And I thought about it, and I thought about when your pet eats people food. Everybody know the rest of that sentence? <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like you know when your cat, your cat or your dog is eating too much people food because they love the food, but the food doesn't like them. And you can think about yourself and food that you love to eat, but you've chosen not to eat anymore because of what the food does for you. Uh, that's what we're talking about. That's what it sounds like he's talking about when we read what goes on in today's passage. Right? Let me read this, Revelation chapter 10. Then I saw, I'm I'm sorry, I'm not starting at the start, I'm starting at verse uh, 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel that is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, it made my stomach, or my stomach was made bitter. And I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Today in John's passage, he's told to eat a scroll, and he does, and it is as sweet as honey in his mouth, uh, but it is bitter in his stomach. And so today what we're going to do, we're going to look at this bittersweet scroll, find out uh, if we can figure out why it is both bitter and sweet and, and what that might mean for us. So first of all, taking the scroll with your eyes open. The angel warned John what was going to happen. He didn't say, it, was, it wasn't playing a practical joke, he, 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 eat this, <laughs> you know, and then afterwards, surprise, your stomach's going to be bitter. Uh, it says, then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land, And I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And by the way, it's a little scroll. We'll talk about that. Uh, A little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. So this is the angel we talked about last week. He's standing on the land and sea. This is that huge, impressive angel. And based on what we saw... and last week, what we looked at, he's, he's representing a message for the entire world, uh, both the land and the sea, his size, the power, all those things. Uh, he's, he's giving a message for the entire earth. So this little scroll is a message for the entire earth, the little scroll that he brings. And John is to take the scroll from his hand. And that's really interesting right off the bat. John, it is the angel's job to deliver the message, but it is John's job to proclaim it to the people. Uh, it is not the angel's job to do that. That's going to be John's 
job. And God seems to do that. He wants to use people to proclaim his word to people. He doesn't want to use angels to do it. And so he takes the little scroll. And the question is, why is it? Does it just look little because the angel's so huge it looks tiny in his hand? And I don't think so because it's repeatedly called a little scroll. And I think it's little simply because it's a scroll of judgment. Right? Uh, if we were, read, go back a little bit, read verses 5 through 7 uh, of the same chapter. It says, uh, And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea is w- and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servant the prophets, and that seventh trumpet is, is going to result in the seven, the, the seven uh, bowls of wrath, and the world is going to be judged, and it is a scroll of judgment that, that is going to sound. Uh, I think the scroll is little, is the, seventh, is the message of the seventh trumpet, resulting in these things and and it's little because destruction is easy anybody can destroy building is what's hard building is what takes time building is what takes thinking building is what takes planning any idiot with a sledgehammer right can do damage can break things can destroy things how much space does a clip of bullets take I mean I actually don't have a handgun (laughs) Uh, so I, I, I thought about it would be nice to pull one out and measure it but I figured well it's probably about four inches long Inch and a half by a half. More like three-eighths, maybe. I don't know. How much, and, and yet the destructive power in that little sucker <laughs> is, is enormous. A lot of damage goes into a little thing. I think, I think the scroll is, is small because it's only about destruction. It, it does not take a big scroll to be, destru- to be destructive. And, and it's only one message. Even though there are other things being said, it's only one message. There is no message of hope. Jonah, when he went to Nineveh, he said, yet 40 days and the, and the city will be destroyed, or Nineveh will be destroyed. He didn't give any message of hope. He had a really short little message of destruction. The people turned it into hope because they responded, but it, it, it's a message of destruction and nothing else. It doesn't have to say, but if you repent, then this is going to happen, or this is going to change. It is simply a message of destruction. And we move on to, so it's a little scroll. We move on to verse 9, uh, and, and it says, so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter and your mouth will be as sweet as honey. And he gave him both the warning and the, and the promise. It will make your stomach bitter, but it will taste sweet. And it sounds like a warning you give with rich food, right? You have this really rich chocolate cake. You say, you might want to take just a small slice. You know, that's when I say, okay, I'll take a large cup of coffee with it. <laughs> you know, so I can have heartburn twice. But you know, I, I, need, I need coffee to help wash down something that's that rich. It sounds like a warning, you know, that, that they give. They say, you will like this, but you might regret it later. And I still am child enough that I'm going to eat it anyway. Because I like that I like it. You know, that, 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 that's good to me. John isn't actually being given a choice here. He's not being saying, you might not want to take this scroll because it will taste good, but it will be bitter later. He's being told, take the scroll, and it will taste good, and it will result in bitterness later. He's being warned, but he's not been, being given a choice. And so we find that it is as sweet as honey, but it's bitter in the stomach. And, and I want to say, this, this scroll is, is the word of God. 
the scroll is, is a prophecy that John is given, either new or old, or, or if it is what we see here uh, in Revelation, the, the seventh trumpet is, is simply what it is. Something about Scripture, though, it, Scripture is interesting. It can be sweet or not. Scripture can be awesome and rewarding and a blessing to the person who reads it, or it could just be boring, right? I, I know I'm not supposed to say that in church up front, Scripture boring. Scripture can be boring. Uh, and I'd like to give you an example about how the same Scripture can be both boring and amazing, depending on what you do with it, right? And I know I've talked about Matthew 1 and, and the genealogy there, but it's such a tremendous example of this. If we read Matthew 1 like an American, Matthew 1 is a genealogy. So-and-so begat so-and-so. I want to give you a hint. We get excited about our own genealogies. We really don't get that excited about other people's genealogies. I want to know where I come from. I don't care where your, who your great-grandpa was. You know, it's, it's kind of, well, that's not very nice, but uh, you know what I'm saying is, is we get interested in our genealogies. We want to know those things, but it doesn't take long to read those lists and your eyes start glazing over. And so we go, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and already we're going, oh man, a genealogy. Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah and his father, Perez. Uh, uh, father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Minadab. You know, and we just, oh, how long is this thing? Minadab, the father of nation. Nation, the father of... And by the time we get through, we pat ourselves on the back because we made it through this really boring piece of scripture that for some reason they put in there. Why did they do that? Don't they know they could have skipped that? They could have given us a summary. It would have been better. That's what happens when we read it like an American. By the way, in America, and I've done a little bit of family tree stuff, I look up both my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family. And dad's parents and both sides and mom's parents and both sides. And we do our family tree like this. But in Israel, because we're not reading like an American, they have a left-sided family tree. It only goes this way because they only follow the father's side. Right? It, it, it's a one-sided family tree. I guess that's a family palm tree. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's, so that's the first thing we do, because then we read through this, and we all of a sudden find that there's women mentioned in here. And you go, yeah, why are women mentioned in a genealogy? Because what, what we're doing now is we're starting to read it and explore. Because what did, you, what did John have to do with that scroll? He had to eat it. Right? What, what, if the scroll is the word of God and eating it, unless we're talking about physically ripping pages out of the Bible and eating them, what are we saying? We're saying take them in. Take them in. Not look at them. That's like looking at food. You, you go, you pay your money at the China buffet, you walk through, you look at the food, and you leave. Well, that wasn't very satisfying. That's what we do with the Bible all the time, is we look at it, we don't take it in. We haven't eaten the Word of God. We haven't eaten the scroll. It hasn't done anything for us, good or bad, because we haven't taken it in. But let's take the minutes and take it in. And the first thing we see is, is we go, what are these women doing, out, doing here? And, and I'll tell you something. Every time a woman is named, there is a scandal. Women are scandalous. Case closed, right? <laughs> Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Well, wait a minute. What's going on here? Well, you come out and you find out that Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. You go, whoa! 
That shouldn't be in the Bible. The Bible's only supposed to have good things about good people. And then you read a little bit farther. And uh, Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Minadab. And Minadab, the father of Nation. Nation, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Rahab, the prostitute. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. The Moabites who were cursed. So Moabites were never supposed to intermarry with Israel. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. He didn't even bother to name her. He just says, by some other guy's wife. And you go, whoa, wait a minute. See, here's the thing is, when we read it like Americans, our eyes glaze over and we read it and we get nothing out of it. And it has not fed us. We've looked at it, but we haven't gotten anything. But if we start looking at it, we start exploring a little bit, we go, wait a minute. This is scandalous. And not only is it scandalous, I mean, if, I'm sorry. You look back in your family tree, you will find scandals, right? Some of you may not have to go that far. <laughs> Some of you may be looking over at mom right now. <laughs> you know? Some of us, we may go a little bit farther. And mom, mom used to say that we were descended from Jesse James. And I, do, I think she was just making it up. But, but she used to say it. And I'm going, yeah, prove it. But I, I haven't seen it in pr- proof. But, but I take it. Yeah, I take it. She used to say we were descended from some stripper, too. I'm going, okay. I don't know why mom got off on that stuff. But, but normally, we, 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 you, don't, you don't have to point out the scandals. We all have scandals in our family trees if we go back and look closely enough and find them. But we generally don't. We, we don't look that hard. But Matthew is, is naming, he's pointing out the scandals. And then you realize he's writing for Jews. He's not writing for Americans, he's writing for Jews. And because they're Jews, these things don't just look at them and they go, oh, I I bet if I looked at that, I'd figure something out. They know this, and it is smacking them in the face because our genealogy, women are named. But their genealogies, women aren't named, and he's naming women, and every time he names a woman, it's a scandal. And so that Jew sits down with the scripture, right? He sits down, hey, I got this new scripture from, or this new thing that Matthew wrote and he sits down he grabs his bagel and he grabs his cup of coffee and he starts reading and then he sits up and he's spitting out bagel and coffee all over the place because this stuff is outrageous and 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 he's he's going I don't know if he's got choice to make either he goes man I want to read this thing or he goes I ain't reading that because it's offensive to me and Matthew and then we go wait a minute Matthew went out of his way to make this offensive he, he didn't, it's not that it was, it couldn't be offensive. He went out of his way to make sure it was offensive. And then we go, we, and, and that's, that's the reading and exploring. And then we start thinking about it a little bit more. Why did Matthew do that? Why is Matthew trying to make this scandalous? What is he saying by that? And as we think about that, we start to maybe come to conclusions. And we go, well, you know what? I think he's trying to point out that Jesus came on his human side from sinful people because he came for sinful people. He came for people like me. He came for for people who have scandal in their history, who have scandal in their personal lives. Jesus is one of us. He's not this religious perfect icon. I mean, he is. But but, but, he didn't come for religious perfect icons. He came for real people. We go, wow. And Matthew is, is getting our attention right off the bat, and he's doing that. But the problem is, is you don't, and, and you go this, and as you're hearing this for the first time, I hope you're kind of getting into that. And you're going, wow, that is interesting. And we've taken this word of God that was boring and dry, and we've made it sweet. By doing what? By eating it. 
by taking it in, by finding the richness that is there. We have made it ours, right? We have made it ours. And Jesus came, I wrote down three things. He came for, from sinful people. He came for sinful people. He did not come to please our religious sensibilities. You know what religious sensibilities are? It's where we all come in and we all are dressed right and we look right and we're all carrying the right size, big, fat, black Bible, you know, with two or three of those ribbon things sticking out of it. And, and uh, we sing the ha- songs perfectly. Yeah, I, I don't know why they let me up there. I butcher everything. <laughs> uh, and he didn't come to please our religious sensibilities. He didn't come to, to, to make us feel religiously satisfied or, or something like that. He came for real people in real situations. And when we do this and when we explore and we ponder, it becomes sweet. And John took the little scroll and he ate it. Right? He took this little scroll, whatever it is, and he ate it. He didn't just look at it, he took it in. And when he did, it was sweet. It was rewarding. He saw the richness in it. It was rich to him. It was pleasant to him. It was valuable to him. He got all of these things from it. Uh, uh, but what happened next? Let's take a field trip. The, the, like so many things in the book of Revelation, this isn't the first time we find this. And as we look to where it happened before, we can learn. So let's take a field trip to Ezekiel chapter 3. So back about middle of the Old Testament, and then go right. Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3. And as we look at before where Ezekiel experienced the bittersweet word of God, we can have little doubt what's going on when John experiences the bittersweet word of God. Ezekiel chapter 3. Let me read just verses 1, 2, and 3 right now. Oh, that's Lamentations. It's not working. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, Feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. The correlation between these two is impossible to miss. They're both being told to do the same thing, to take a scroll, to eat it, and then they're supposed to take and prophesy what they have taken in. They're to take what they have taken in, and they are to proclaim it to others. The sweetness of God's word to Ezekiel. The sweetness of God's word to John. The sweetness that God's word ought to have and at least sometimes does for you and me. When we read God's word and it blesses us and we read it and we are just in awe of how awesome God is, that's what these guys are experiencing. And then Ezekiel, we read verses uh, 4 through 7. Because Ezekiel doesn't use the word bitter. He doesn't say bitter, but he describes bitterness. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel... And speak my words with, to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. For they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead 
and a stubborn heart. He's describing bitter. He doesn't say it's bitter, but he's describing bitter. When you have experienced the blessings and the richness and the power of the word of God, and you say, I've got to share this, and you go and you share it, and people refuse to listen. And people refuse to respond. And the thing is, is it's, not just, it's not like, hey, I have a new car, see my new car, so people can say, ooh, aren't you special? You have a new car, or isn't your car special, whether you are or not? Right? It's not, it's not like that. It's not where, okay, if you don't like my car, that's your business. It's like, I have something that you need, and it's awesome. Come, see it. And they look and they say, thanks, but I don't want it. You don't understand. This will save your soul. Thanks, but I don't want it. You don't understand. You need this. Leave me alone. Don't tell me that anymore. Ezekiel's told, told if you went to people who didn't, who didn't understand your language, they'd take the time to listen to you. But these people, they're refusing what you have. And we have this picture of Ezekiel being described. Uh, it, it, he doesn't use the word bitter, but it is bitter. The word is sweet to the person who takes it in. But when others refuse it, it the experience is bitter. The experience is bitter. John, in Revelation 10, is told to prophesy to people who will not listen. Chapter 10, verse 11. And I was told, you must pro- again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. A- and it's prophetic language. You must prophesy again. You know, he didn't eat the scroll. He took in God's word. It's a message God gave him. And he's to take that message, which is for the whole world, as represented by the angel, with the sea- foot on the land and the sea, and, and, and here, uh, it's repeated again to the whole world when he says many peoples, nations, languages, and kings, except they're not listening. Prepositions can be really important, right? Prepositions, little words, to, in, for, toward, about, right? What's that? Oh, okay, <laughs> English teacher. <laughs> uh, prepositions matter, and he's not prophesying to many peoples, nations, languages, and kings, but about. And I, and I was looking at this, and I, I, I grabbed, and some of your Bible might say concerning. And, and I, I got caught up on this preposition because I, I, I looked at it, and my Greek isn't impressive. I, you know, I cheat and use all sorts of tools. But uh, it, it, it looked like possible that this word could mean before. Like I preached before the people. And I wanted to know, was he preaching before them or about them? And, and, and I, I grabbed every Bible on my shelf, and they all said either about or concerning. And I, and I, I wasted more time on the word about <laughs> than on probably any other part of this. Sorry, it wasn't waste, but you know, I spent more time on this word about than probably any other part of, single part of the sermon uh, just trying to figure it out. And, and apparently the word can sometimes mean before, but the grammar in this case wouldn't allow it. It has to mean I prophesied about these people or I prophesied concerning them. And that's very different from prophesying to them. They they were not prophesied to. They were prophesied about. You're trying to warn someone who won't listen. Here's the difference between the two. you, You say, hey, you're about to go over a cliff. You're prophesying to them. And when they don't listen and go over the cliff, it turns out you were prophesying about them. Same words. You're going to go over a cliff. 
They go over the cliff. I told them they were going to go over a cliff. And what was supposed to be two becomes about because they would not listen. It was supposed to be to these people. He was supposed to prophesy to them. He was supposed to give them the word of God, but they would not receive the word of God. And so it was only about them. It was not to them. It was about them. And, and here's the interesting thing when you think about that. You're the one who sees them getting ready to go over the cliff. You warn them they're going to go over the cliff. They go over the cliff. Someone comes and says to you, what happened? Now you say, I told them they were going to go over the cliff. Is there bitterness in your voice? Isn't that interesting to think about? I told them. You ever say, why doesn't the world listen? That's bitterness. You know the word of God, and you want people to listen, but they don't. And, and, and what is sweet to you becomes bitter. Why? Because you care. Is there a solution for that? Not a good one. Right? Sure, there, there is a solution to it. Do you want to protect yourself? Then just read God's word, but don't take it in. That'll protect you. <laughs> it won't be bitter to you. It won't be sweet either. It'll just be God's word. You'll be able to, to say, yeah, I dusted it off. I looked it over. I did my duty. God didn't give you the Bible so that you can read it as a duty. I mean, if you're only going to read it out of duty, do it. First time I ever read my, my Bible, I read it out of duty. Second time, you know what it did? It started to become sweet. <laughs> and, and I thank God for that first time when I read it out of duty because it was important for me and it helped. So, so I'm not saying don't read it out of duty, but I'm saying don't make that the limit or the end of your reading of the Bible because it's God's word. Take it in. You know, people tend to be, they, they read just enough God, of God's word to have a snack now and then. You know, just enough to tide them over till, till Sunday or something like that. Uh, if you do that, you know, if, if any time it starts to be too sweet, you back off. I'm not sure I want to go there. Uh, then you'll protect yourself. You won't, you won't have the bitterness because you won't have taken it in. It won't bother you how the word affects others. If you don't let it be sweet, it won't be bitter either because the words aren't part of your life. But when you take them in, they become part of your life and they matter to you uh, and you have a stake in them. If you really care about God's word, here's the thing, if you really care about God's word, you will care about people. You can't not. If God's word is, is becoming more and more a part of your life, you can't not love people. You can't not want to help people. It's, it becomes a part of who you are because that's what God's word does. Because God's word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It becomes a part of who you are. We look at John, the effective prophet. You know, and prophet, you know, don't, don't get hung up because this is a message not about John. This is a message for us. Now, always remember, Revelation is, is about what's happening then, but it's for us now. If, if, we, if we get confused and think we're only reading about something that applies to other people at other times, uh, that then we're missing something. It is written to bless us now, and we are to learn from it. Okay, when we say, when, I'm not talking about prophets, just those people who get visions from God and then you know, go and, and proclaim them. I'm talking about anyone who has God's word, has received God's word, and can share it with someone else, which means any of us can be a prophet. Any of us can share God's word. The effective prophet has to do two things. One, he has to be true to God's word. Two, he has to care about the people he shares it with. 
And you can say, well, what about Jonah? Okay, maybe there's an exception. <laughs> Jonah was effective. He didn't like the people. <laughs> he says, I don't want you to repent, but God's going to blast you. <laughs> and then he went up and waited on the hill, and he complained that God had mercy. And, and you go, okay, Jonah, was, Jonah is a good, bad example. Don't, don't, don't make Jonah your role model. The effective prophet has to be true to God's word, say what God really says, not what you wish God said, not redefining it to fit somebody's desire, but true to what God says, and he has to care about the people he speaks to. And it, if they don't listen, it may become painful for him, but he can't change God's word. That's one of the huge mistakes people try to make in our world today is they try to change God's word to make it more acceptable to people. We cannot do that because it's God's word. And people need to become more acceptable to him, not uh, him more acceptable to us. You, you may not see yourself as a prophet, but you have a responsibility to God's word. Uh, because, you know, and we are in a time, we're not there. We are at a time when people will listen. At least some people will listen. You don't know who will listen. We're at a time when people can listen, when you get the chance of actually speaking to people who are going to hear what you have to say. We live in a time when God's word is sweet, and the results can be sweet as well. And, and, and without a show of hands, many of you know what it is to have sweet results from sharing the word of God, where it's not merely sweet when you take it in, but it is rewarding when you give it out, and it is sweet as well. Love God's word, share God's word, spare others from the bitterness that they might have. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. And, and Lord, I thank you for this knowledge up front that it can be bitter. It can hurt. But Father, give us hearts that care. Let us take your word in. Let your word change us from the inside out. Father, give us a love for your word that lives there and dwells there and can't be suppressed. I ask you to help us to bless others, use us to bless others. I pray in Jesus' name.